are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Jeremiah 18, beginning with verse 1. And the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, Cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. And now let us bow our heads for prayer. And our Heavenly Father, I want to be a blessing more than I want to live. I pray the Holy Spirit would absolutely control me tonight, and may I preach with the power of the Holy Spirit. I long to, I want to. And I pray tonight that the hearts of the people will be blessed and challenged. May I say exactly what ought to be said, and may I say it in just the way it ought to be said tonight, so that somebody will get the idea that they're to get on God's wheel and stay there until God is absolutely finished with them and makes them into the vessel that he wants them to be. Now help me, Lord, I need you in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 4 said, The vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again. Another vessel has seemed good to the potter to make it. I like to speak tonight on broken but remade. The late Dr. DeHaan says, All Scripture has a primary interpretation. Most Scripture has what we call spiritual applications. And many scriptures have prophetic revelation. I think the primary interpretation of this passage is obvious from verse 6. He said, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter saith the Lord? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. The nation of Israel was a broken nation. As a result, Jeremiah's heart was broken, and God showed him the potter as the potter remade the broken vessel. It says to Jeremiah, I can yet remake the nation of Israel and fulfill my promises to that nation. But I think there are some spiritual lessons here that I want us to look at tonight. There are two kinds of brokenness. There's a broken and contrite heart that the Lord will not despise. And then there's a broken life. David is an example of both. In Psalm 51, he prayed, O Lord, a broken and contrite heart thou wilt not despise. But he went on in that same chapter to say, Create in me a clean heart. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. 
He went on to say, And then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. I might add, Only then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Something had happened in David's life. No longer was he happy about being a Christian. No longer did he feel the Holy Spirit's presence. And he was aware of the fact that his life was barren and souls were not being saved. And he said, Lord, you do these things for me and then I'll teach transgressors thy ways. Now, when Jeremiah went down to the potter's house, he noticed several things. In the first place, he noticed the potter. Job said, I pray thee, dear Lord, remember that thou hast made me as the clay. I don't know whether the songwriter had that verse in mind or not when he wrote, Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter and I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I'm waiting, yielded and still. But I do know that God Almighty is a divine potter. And Philippians 1, 6 says, He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. Under the day of Jesus Christ, he won't stop. He'll just keep working on you and working on you and working on you and working on you. Right up until the day Jesus Christ comes. Somebody said, I'm not all that I want to be. And I'm not all that I'm going to be, but thank God I ain't what I used to be. And all of us should be able to say that. God's been working on all of us. With that in mind, let me make several suggestions. In the first place, the divine potter has a plan and purpose for every vessel. You're not here accidentally. Jeremiah said, the Lord called me from my mother's womb. God knew from the day that his mother had conceived that Jeremiah was going to be a preacher. And I think God knew. In fact, I know God knew. God knows everything. Did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurred to God? He knew I was going to be a preacher long before I ever knew it. But God has a plan and purpose for every vessel. I, I'm convinced that if our life is absolutely and unreservedly surrendered to Christ, that we are where God wants us. All things do work together for good to them that love the Lord. Somebody said to me the other day, well, so-and-so happened, I guess I'll have to accept it. The Bible said all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. I said, you won't accept it. You'll get excited about it. If it works for you good, you, you get excited. God has a plan and purpose for every vessel. May I hurriedly say that that the supreme passion of the potter is a perfection of the vessel. And Romans 8.29 says we are predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son. And God keeps on working on every vessel and keeps on working on every vessel until he makes us exactly what he wants us to be. May I say too, there's no loose motion with the potter's hands. Nothing happens accidental. Our lives are surrendered to God. He works things out. I, I wish I could tell you now 
how much I believe in Romans 8, 28. I used to believe it because it's in the Bible. But I believe it tonight for two reasons. I believe it because it's in the Bible and I believe it because of my own experience as a preacher and as a Christian. I've lived long enough to look back and see that everything that happened to me, God had a reason for it. And some of the things I fussed about, I've lived long enough to shout about and say, thank God it happened. You cannot always trace God, but you can always trust Him. The Father's way may twist and turn, your heart may throb and ache, but in my soul I'm glad I know He maketh no mistake. The dark threads are as needful in the Master's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern He has planned. Though I'll go on not knowing, I would not if I might. I'd rather walk with Christ in the dark than to walk alone in the light. I've had a lot of things happen to me that I cried about and fussed about and complained about. When I get to heaven, I want to hug Jesus and say, I'm glad you let it happen. That's one of the best things ever happened to me. That puts something in my backbone. May I say in the the second place, uh, Jeremiah not only saw the potter, but he saw the clay. Clay is common and ordinary stuff. It has no inherent beauty or value. It's only value derived from the fact that it's in the potter's hand. And I don't want to inflate your ego, but I want to tell you something. We're all clay. And we all are common and ordinary stuff. Uh, You say, I got an education. I don't care if you have so many degrees behind your name. You look like a thermometer. Your common and ordinary stuff. And your only beauty or value is derived from the fact that you're in the potter's hands. Put a baseball bat in Hank Aaron's hand, he'll knock the baseball over the fence with it. Put it in my hand, I'll strike out. Not the bat. It's the guy who's got his hand on the bat. And it's not who you are that counts, but it's whose you are that counts. God Almighty can hit an awful straight lick with a crooked stick. Uh, He's picked up some stammering, stuttering Moses and delivered the children of Israel. He took a little boy that had five loaves and Two sardines. You find that in the original Greek. He never been to anybody's school, but God Almighty brought him from the back row to the front row and put him before the crowd. But when he got before the crowd, he had something for him. We're not careful. We may run ahead sometime with a brown paper sack in our hand. When it comes time to serve lunch, we may not have nothing. It's a long walk back when you shake an empty sack. And you don't have to have beef steak and potato salad and meringue pie. If folks are hungry enough, they'll eat sardines and biscuits. Especially when they're not being fed very much. 
common and ordinary stuff, all of us. I'm so excited about the possibilities for everybody who wants to be used of God that that I could have an old-fashioned Nazarene Pentecostal Baptist running fit. I mean, anybody who wants to do anything for God can do it. All it requires is absolute, teetotal surrender to Christ. Letting Him have the clay in His hands. That's where the value comes from. And that five loaves and two fishes got in the Lord's hand fed 5,000 people. I heard one guy, I read where one guy had what he called a brown paper bag theory. He said, well, it wasn't really, there's really a lot of lunches there. He said, everybody had a lunch. But they're all a little bit ashamed of their little lunch and hid it on their coats. When the boy brought his lunch out, it encouraged all the rest of them to pull their lunch out. I wonder who picked up all those brown paper bags that they got to eating. We got more than a brown paper bag God. We got a God who can multiply the loaves and fishes. He can take a gypsy smith who come to America an unknown and left here as a household word. He can take a D.L. Moody with the equivalent of the fifth grade education according to the recent book I'm reading entitled Love Them In. He'd shake two continents for God. Anybody who really wants to do something for God, get in the potter's hand and God can make something out of you. But I might ought to tell you that you have to be separated from the common lump. You ever play with clay? I used to go down to the Georgia Creek Bank and dig out a hunk of Georgia clay, and we got some down in Georgia. There's something there beside peanuts and presidents. Maybe we don't have anything but peanuts. I don't know. But anyway, did you ever get a hunk of Georgia clay and bring it out of the bank and carry it home with you? It has to be separated from the common lump. Somewhere, sometime, a guy must say, I, I'll walk alone. When others are fishing, I'll be soul winning. When others are roasting steak, I'll be reading my Bible, memorizing my verses. When they all go down to the sizzling steakhouse, I'll go work. I'm not against the sizzling steakhouse. You can tell that by looking at me. You can tell them on the level, I got the bubble in the middle. <laughs> but a guy has to get separated from the common lump, you know. I've read about great men. Great men are lonely men. They walk alone. Pulled out from the common lump and put in the potter's hands, and the potter goes to work on it. Like A.J. Gordon prayed in deeper experiences of famous Christian, be thorough with me, Jesus. See, I remember taking some clay from the Georgia bank. First thing I did when I got home with it, lay it down on the front porch. And I'd begin to pound it. I'd flatten it out, and then I'd roll it up in a long roll. 
Then I'd cram it back together and put it back down on the porch and start beating it again. And I'd roll it back up and cram it back together and break it apart and pound it again. If that clay could talk, it'd say, Curtis, what in the world did you get me out of the creek bank for? This all you had in mind for me is this pounding and this breaking and this pounding and this breaking. Is that all you had in mind? And I'd say, no, just be still, be patient. I got a plan. Every time I hit that clay, I had something in mind. Every time I flattened it out, I'd take out another straw, another rock. I'd find another hard place and work on that. But I made the clay completely pliable. You know, in 1961, I surrendered to the Lord. I said, I want you to use me, the crown of my head to the sole of my feet. And, and I must tell you that I thought the next Sunday 10,000 folks would come out to hear me preach. I couldn't wait to get to church and have to go through the traffic and have eight or ten policemen directing me to my church. But I looked out, it was the same dead crowd that was there last Sunday. Same ones that slept last Sunday slept this Sunday. I learned not to worry about those who sleep. They trust you. Those that stay awake bothers me. Months went by and instead of blessing, they came breaking. We're going to have a soul winning church. Over my dead body. We ain't never done it this way before. I'm the pastor. You were the pastor. And the deacons got the blues and ran up Miff Tree and held the greenbacks. And I wrote a poem for them and said, When I'm dead and in my grave, let the deacons shed no tears, for I shall be no deader then than they have been for years. No reflection on good deacons, just dead deacons. Man, I thought everybody gets excited about sowing, and I did. I, I thought everybody would come out and bring the neighbors. We'd have hundreds to go sowing in visitation. It was me, myself, and I. Nobody else. Instead of blessing, they came breaking, and I, and I said, Lord, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold it, hold it. I'm the guy who surrendered to be used mightily of God. We still got these outside toilets, and they're not even my words. We just borrow them occasionally. Where's that, where's that big crowd that John Wesley preached to in the cow pasture? 20,000. And I almost wanted to get off the wheel. I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I stayed on. I thought he'd never do anything, but after a while, things begin to happen. And I said, we'll baptize one every week. And I set a goal, and for 14 years, we'll baptize converts every week. And 72 is recognized as the fastest-growing church in America. And then one day, I went around 285 Expressway and passed the airport. 
is 72, I think. I said, Lord, you've been so good to me. You've allowed me to pastor now the largest church in the state, and this year the fastest growing in the nation. I said, Dear Lord, I don't want you to think I'm complaining. You've been too good. But I said, Lord, I feel like I'm playing on the second string. I said, I'd like to play on the first string one time. And I said, Lord, first string to me would be Dr. Rice and Dr. Howells. If I could preach in one conference with Dr. Rice and Dr. Howells. Then the devil laughed at me in my car. He said, you fool, you. Dr. Rice knows 50,000 preachers. Whatever made think you'd ever preach in a conference? You didn't even go to college or seminary. You didn't even finish high school. I said, I know all that. Then I started to say, Lord, I know. But then I changed it. I said, Lord, I could tell you I didn't mean that. But I said, if I did, I'd be lying. I still want to preach with them one time. So I tell my grandkids I preached on the platform with Dr. Rice and Dr. House. Then I said, Lord, don't make it two times if you would. I said, I'll be so nervous the first time I can't spit straight. Give me two shots at it. (laughs) And I got back to my office and Ms. Hoffman said, Walt Hanford called you. And I returned the call to Walt Hanford over in Greenville. He said, Kurt? I said, yeah. He said, it's Walt Hanford over at Southside Baptist Church. I said, yeah. We're having a soul of the Lord conference here, I think, this November, I think, was the date. Dr. Rice and Dr. Howells is going to be here. I, I wonder if you could come and take about two hours and tell us what God's doing for you down there. I checked my calendar in both directions, ten years. <laughs> Didn't have a thing marked by my birthday. <laughs> and I said, just happens I happen to have that day open. I can come. And I went to Greenville, South Carolina and spoke my first conference. Boy, I'm glad I stayed on the wheel. I'm glad I didn't quit when he was beating and the deacons was cussing and spitting and and folks were leaving the church and holding the tithe out. I'm glad I didn't quit. If I wasn't so dignified, I'd shout. Good mind too anyway. And I preached in more than one, more than two. But you got to stay on the wheel. Second, third thing Jeremiah saw was uh, was the wheel, a round tabletop like instrument. The clay is placed in the center of it, and it goes around and around. And the potter's hand worked busily on the clay. The average guy passing by wouldn't see that underneath the tabletop the potter had his foot feet on a treadle like on an old-fashioned sewing machine. He designed and made that tabletop. And while his hands worked on the clay, his feet turned the wheel. He'd slow it up or speed it up as best suited the purpose of the vessel. Ah, that's it. You don't always know it. And the average guy who's looking on the surface doesn't see it, but the potter has his foot on the treadle. 
Why well, I was raised in a semi-primitive Baptist church. To them, feet washing was an ordinance. We wash feet once a year. I never did know why they just did it one time a year. If you're going to do it, you ought to do it at least once a week. If you don't wash it no more than that, you might be like the guy who feet had an odor and he put odor eaters in his shoes and they ate his feet up. <laughs> but anyway, I, that old primitive Baptist church, they believe what is to be will be, even if it didn't happen. And two of those churches split over a chicken leg. On an August afternoon, they were having dinner on the ground and one of them pulled his watch out and picked up a big fat chicken leg. He said it was predestined and before the foundation of the world that I should eat this chicken leg on August the 23rd, 323 in the afternoon. Another guy heard about all he could take and he reached over and grabbed the chicken leg out of his hand and said, it ain't going to be so this time and he ate it. <laughs> and the church split. Man, I was taught you're not supposed to go to school. They said if God calls you to preach, you ain't going to need no education. You just get up and let it fly. Man, if you carried a note to the pulpit, they'd laugh you out of town. They'd say, you can't carry fire on paper. <laughs> I've since learned that you can use paper to start a pretty good fire. My preacher didn't believe in a resurrection. He said, Kurt, don't you tell him anything's coming out of the grave. I requested to be buried next to him. In the resurrection morning, I want to look over and say, how you like these apples? I was ordained in an amillennial association. I didn't know what our millennial was. But they kept saying, oh, there ain't going to be no millennium. So I... <laughs> I was so dumb, you wouldn't believe how dumb I was. They said, do you believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of the Bible? The only three words I understood out of the statement was of the Bible. But they nodded their head when they asked me, so I nodded mine. The last article of faith was, we believe in a general resurrection and a general judgment. I had no idea what it meant. But I believe in General MacArthur and General Patton. <laughs> so I guess these generals are right too. I said, yeah, I believe in both of them. And they ordained me in an all-millennial association. Would you believe it? Ninety all-millennial preachers, and like to do it in ordination, they presented me with a new Bible. And I can still hear that old country preacher. Kurt, Don't you preach that rotten doctrine of Jesus coming back to the earth and reigning a thousand years? You preach what's in this book, boy! Preach this book! 
And they presented me with a new Schofield Bible. I didn't know what was in that Bible. And they didn't either. <laughs> if they'd have known it, they'd have burned it. And I walked out of there that afternoon with that new Bible. I liked it. It smelled good. Genuine leather. I'd never had one like it. But when I opened it up, I saw lines across the middle of the page and something at the bottom of the page. It wasn't the Bible. A whole half a page or something wasn't the Bible. And I said, Lord, have mercy. They've given me a bad Bible. <laughs> but I liked it so much I kept it for six years and preached out of it. So help me, I didn't know how to use the concordance nor the subject index for six years. After I went to my first sword conference, I heard Dr. Rice preach firstly, secondly, thirdly. And they had such organized sermons. Well, I had never tried to organize a sermon, and I went home and organized my first sermon. I read, of all things, I read the first three chapters of Revelation. And I noticed that to each church, he said, Blessed is he that overcometh, for him will I do so and so. If you overcome, I'll do this, that, and the other. And so I, I thought, that's a good seven-point sermon. God's promises to the overcomer. Now, I'm going to be honest. I thought I had myself a sermon. <laughs> I waxed eloquent that night. My first outline sermon, seven points. God's promises to the overcomer. That's what I'm speaking on tonight. And I said, firstly, for the first time, to him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manner. I didn't know what that meant. I said, you know, it must be good. If it's going to last till I get there, it's, it has to be good. Colonial bread, don't make it like that. Sunbeam, don't have anything that'll last that long. It's going to last till I get there. And it's hidden and the devil can't find it. Oh, and I preached on the hidden manner. I said, I don't know what manner of manner it is, but it has to be good. Secondly, him that overcometh, I'll give a white stone, and on that stone I'll write a new name. And I preached on the stone till I run out of stone. And then I ran into a snag. I came to the last promise to the overcome in Revelation 3.21. Where the Bible said, Blessed is he that overcometh, for him will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am sat down with my father in his throne. I wasn't too smart, but I knew what that meant. I knew Jesus Christ was on the Father's throne, and that someday he's going to sit down on some throne called his own throne, and we're going to sit with him. And when I come to that, I said to myself, Self, what are you going to tell him about that verse? Well, I said, I don't know anything to tell him about that verse or what it says. So I just rarried back and said, According to this verse, Jesus Christ is not on his throne, but someday he'll reign on his throne and we'll reign with him. And a businessman had come in that nice night with a nice business suit on. And he was the first man ever brought a Bible to church other than me. And he made me nervous. <laughs> I thought he was a spy. And when I said, according to this verse, Jesus is not on his throne, but someday he'll reign on his throne and we'll reign with him. 
that guy raised his Bible up and said, Amen! And I said to myself, Self, you said something good. <laughs> if you just knew what it was. That guy is smart. Look at him. He's probably been to college. He knows what that meant. Well, I figured if I could say it twice, I could catch it. So I backed up and said, according to this verse, Jesus is not on his throne, but someday he'll reign on his throne and we'll reign with him. And that guy said, amen. And I still didn't catch it. I said it eight times so that fella got embarrassed and wouldn't say amen no more. And I never did catch it. God had his foot on the treadle. And after the service, when the crowd had dismissed, it took him about 35 seconds to dismiss in those days. <laughs> that guy stayed behind. God bless him. <laughs> he put his arm around my shoulder and hugged me and said, God bless you, boy. God bless you. Why, if I'd have known you were premillennial, I'd have joined this little old church and helped you. And I said, <laughs> I was embarrassed. I was a pastor. So help me, I had never heard the word premillennial. And I was afraid it was a joke. One guy asked me one time I'd ever read the second chapter of Jude, and I told him yes, and he laughed at me. it was another Jude question. Oh, he said, you are a premillennial, aren't you, boy? I said, come back and see us again. He said, are you pre or not? I said, mister, I must tell you that I've never heard that word before, and I'm ashamed of myself. I've been preaching now six years. I never heard that word pre-millennial. Well, he said, you're not post-millennial, are you? Well, I said, now, there's another word I've never heard. Honey, <laughs> certainly not all millennial. I said, no, I never heard that word. He said, boy, do you believe what you preached? I said, yes, sir. He said, you're a premillennial preacher. You just don't know it. And here's what got it, huh? Time to go. And I reached over and picked my Bible off the pulpit and started down out of the church. And he saw it. Had a keen eye. He saw it. And he looked. He said, let me see that Bible. I said, oh, Lord. I knew I should have thrown it away when they gave it to me. Had all these notes and things down at the bottom. I knew it wasn't the Word of God. I knew it was something else. He reached for my Bible. I said, it's just a black Bible like your Bible. He said, let me see it. I said, there it is. See it. And he he grabbed at my Bible and pulled in my Bible. And I pulled and he pulled. And he said, he said, let me have it. I won't steal your notes. I, I knew he wouldn't steal my notes. <laughs> Finally, he pulled my Bible out of my hand. And I said, oh, Lord, he's done humiliated me about premillennial. And now he's going to expose my Jehovah's Witness Bible. <laughs> and he turned it up and said, huh. Schofield reference edition. Huh. How long you had this Bible? I said six years. You been preaching out of this Schofield Bible six years? Yes. And you told me you didn't know what premillennial was. 
Then I said, <laughs> and then my brain went. I said, what's this Bible got to do with being one of these pre-millionaires? But God had his foot on the treadle. And I went home and laid my Bible down on the dining room table and began to study and dig. Ooh. I'd get up from the table and say, Whew. Geraldine, that's my wife's name. I say, Geraldine, she said, what's wrong? I said, I don't know. I said, I'm about to burst wide open, honey. I said, I know so much in the Bible. I said, man, I found out Jesus is coming back. We're going to be raised from the dead. I'm finding all kinds of things out of here. Boy, I couldn't go to sleep. I couldn't lay it down. I was up at five in the morning. Midnight, I was still pouring over it. I had holy heartburns. God had his foot on the treadle and gave me an education with an old Schofield Bible. I'm going to stop. But you got to stay on the wheel. You got to stay on the wheel. You got to stay on the wheel. You got to stay and stay and stay and stay and stay and say, if I die and go to heaven of failure, I'm going to stay on the wheel. And you'll be surprised what he'll teach you and what he'll make out of you. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.